Hey, this is Levi, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this message from Fresh Life Church. If you haven't yet, please take a second and swing by our YouTube page and subscribe to Fresh Life Church's channel so you don't miss any of the new messages as they show up. Well, let's jump in, and I hope you'll enjoy this word from God. There is no unimportant part of your body. There's no unimportant part of your body. Every single part has a value and contributes to the larger things that happen. But there are parts of your body that you can't live without. You can't live without your brains. You can't live without your, your heart. You can't live without at least a lung. I mean, not, not, not true of your hand. Your hand's important, but if you cut it off, you'll survive. Your, your feet are important, but if you cut one of them off, you'll survive. I got a, fr- a good friend who, who I've, I've known over the years, ministered at events alongside him named Nick Vujicic, and, and he was born without arms or legs. It's unbelievable. Now, he's more talented than me in just about every way. You watch him dive off a diving board. You, you see the things that he does, how he's, he's figured out, and really life without limits, even though he has no limbs. And, and, uh, but, but he survived the loss of his arms and, and legs or never having them in the first place. And, and, uh, and so you think about what your body can survive without. You can live without your reproductive organs. You can live without a stomach. Through dialysis, you can live without kidneys. You can survive with even part of your liver removed. It'll regenerate. I mean, this is an amazing thing. You get a part of a kidney and a person can, can receive that as an organ transplant. But like I said, you take the heart, you take the, you take the lungs or you know, the breathing ability away, you take the brain away and, and it lights out. In this series, what we're trying to discover is what are the vital organs of Christianity? What are the parts of our, of our faith, if we call ourselves followers, followers of Jesus, that you can't you can't live without. And this week, we've come to the essential organ of the essential organs. As we come now to draw our attention to this statement, on the third day, he rose again. I wonder if there's anybody who's willing just to celebrate for a second the fact that Jesus Christ rose. And uh, if, if that doesn't excite you, if, that, if that's not enough for you, then I don't have anything more. So just so you know, there's not like a point in the sermon where it's gonna build towards a big climactic, that, that is it right there, what I just gave you. If that's not enough to excite you and get you up, if that's not enough to get you full of faith and full of energy, there's, then, then you're gonna be really disappointed because it just goes downhill from there. Because all I got to give you is that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead, but on the third day, he rose from the dead. And can you imagine how weak this series would be if he didn't? Because it would, be, it would have ended last week. Last week would have been the last week. The third week of the series would have been the last week of the series. It would have ended with suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. End scene. <laughs> Close quote. That's all she wrote. But that would be the least of our problems that we wouldn't get to talk about the resurrection of the body, that we wouldn't get to talk about all those things, that, that our series would be over. We would have much, much more problems. If you have a Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, like I said, uh, the title of my message is The Stuff Legends Are Made Of. The Stuff Legends Are Made Of. Paul speaking, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. The dictionary defines a legend as a traditional story, sometimes popularly regarded as historical, but unauthenticated. So it's a story that gets told and a story that even sometimes gets believed and almost like eventually comes to seem like it's historical, but it's actually, in fact, if you dig into it, it's not, it's not authentic. Examples, of course, would be like the lost city of Atlantis. You know, you hear about with, with deepest apologies to Aquaman, you know, because I got nothing but respect for Momoa, right? Uh, but but the, the reality is there's not a lost city of Atlantis. If you dig into it, it's not, it's not authentic. It's just been told and told and told again, and, and it almost seems like it's true. It's, it's, it's legend status. Uh, Billy the Kid, right? There's a kernel of truth. There's a, there's a person, an individual in history that it kind of started out as, but what, what, it's, what it morphed into has, has nothing to do with the actual historical figure uh, of this dude, you know, all the rest, the fastest gun in the West. I mean, just what it, what it became is very different than what it actually is. Uh, King Arthur, Knights of the, the Round Table, right? The sword in the stone, the Loch Ness Monster. I know we're getting into controversial territory here, but these are myths. These are, these are legends that if you actually look into it, it's not authenticated, right? Robin Hood and, and, and the legend of the, the fountain of youth and the, the search in, in, in Florida for some water, Agua de Vida, right? That's going to really quench your thirst and give you eternal life. These are, these are legends. When we come to the resurrection of Jesus, though to many people, uh, what we believe in, what is the linchpin of our salvation, what is, what is the basis for our belief in Jesus Christ to many people, our belief in Christ rising should be put on the same shelf as all of those things that, that we just mentioned. Nice idea, uh, should, sure would be good, maybe even some inspirational value in it, but you can't, you can't really believe that that, that actually happened. Or, or, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, St. Nick. He was this nice guy who did some good things, but then eventually just one thing led to another. It got bigger and got bigger and got bigger. And, and I'm sure the disciples thought they saw him, you know, like, like the nice misguided people who believe in Bigfoot really believe in, <laughs> in Sasquatch, right? That's, that's really what people uh, would, would have you to think, that our, that our faith, that it, it is based on uh, misplaced information, that Christ uh, and his rising, that that's really uh, deserves to be in the realm of legend. But that doesn't really matter, some would say, because even if it's not actually historically accurate as an event, it's still a nice, inspiring idea. And all of us should, should hope to be like, like a phoenix from the ashes and get on up from our, our failure. And, and what does it matter if it's a legend? Here's what I want you to understand. Here's really the big idea for this message. When you actually look into what scripture gives to us, what history offers to us, because make no mistake, the documents that form the New Testament of the Bible, these are not just 
inspiring religious writings. They are reliable historical documents. That's so important for you to understand. The New Testament is a, a collection of documents that are reliable historical documents, not just nice, inspiring religious writings. What we are presented with, listen to me, has none of the stuff that legends are made of. I want you to understand what legends are made of. And then I want you to look into, I want to point your attention to what we find in these historical documents that are the New Testament. And you find, you'll go, wait a minute, this has none of the stuff that legends are made of. Because the story of Christ rising from the dead is full of details. Details that number one, first of, of several takeaway truths are given to us specifically. That's the nature of details. That they're specific. You can't be vague and be giving details. Say, I want details. I want details. Oh, well, you know, we got one thing led to another. No, no, no. I want details. When you open up scripture, you do not find once upon a time in a place far, far away. Where did Jesus rise? Well, you know, it was far, far away. That's the place. And what happened on the roof? Well, there arose such a clatter. No, no, listen to me. We're, we're not confronted with, with vague details, like, like Luke 3. And Luke, by the way, the gospel of Luke has been considered and has been described as one of the most impressive documents of history in all of antiquity, written by a medical doctor, funded by a wealthy benefactor who wanted someone to do a thorough investigation of these reports of what Jesus had both done and taught and performed in his life. And what are the details? Is it, is it, does it start like, you know, uh, you know the, 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 in, a, in a place far away, once upon a time, a, a long time ago. No, no, listen to me. Luke 3, chapter 1, or, or verse 1 and 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Who's that? A historically verifiable leader who at the time purported, that purportedly Jesus lived and ministered was the emperor. Look into that. It's real. It's a thing. When Pontius Pilate, who's that? He's the fifth prefect over the area of Judea who was under uh, the Caesar at the time. Governor of Judea. Who else was in charge in Galilee? Well, there was also Herod the Tetrarch. Oh, and, and what, did he have any family? Yeah, he had a brother named Philip who was also a Tetrarch. Where was he the Tetrarch of? Idaria and Trachonitis. There's maps in the back of your Bible for a reason. Look into it. This is a thing. Get on a plane if you need to. Go discover some of these ruins. Look into the archaeological. Get your things, fingers dusty with the, 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 the actual places that are mentioned in these places because here they are. Where did Jesus live? Oh, you know, it's just a place. You do, oh, it's a dreamland, really? It's more of a, a feeling you would feel. No. <laughs> it's uh, Idaria and Trachonitis. That sounds more like a disease than a place. <laughs> Well, I, you're like, that's great, Levi, but who is the Tetrarch of Abilene? I'm glad you asked. It was Lysanias and during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. All of that given just so we would have context when we hear the next sentence. During this period, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. He was actually just trying to tell us about a dude who ate bugs and wore camel skin clothing. <laughs> but he went through all of this so you would understand this isn't fable. That's not how fables come to us. This is, this is not Camelot. This is not some magic made up location. We are given precise GPS triangulation of these locations. 
I've been to Israel. I've seen and stood on the ruins of Herod the Great. I've seen the places where Pontius Pilate came and went from as he made his way from Caesarea by the sea to Jerusalem. they've, They've exposed the pavement that Jesus likely stood on as Pilate said, behold the man, or in Latin, ecce homo to the people. You can almost still watch the blood running into the cracks of those exposed stones from where Jesus endured the flagellation. This is a real place described specifically. Someone estimated that in addition to the names that we just read, there are over 30 other historical figures mentioned in connection to the New Testament story of Jesus that can be verified from extra biblical sources. Now, I said a moment ago, that doesn't mean the Bible's not a legitimate source because the Bible, the New Testament is a legitimate source. And based on manuscript evidence, we can be sure that the Bible we have today, so far as the New Testament is concerned, is 99% the same as the Bible that was written as these letters originally went out, as these books were originally formed. And the 1% variance has no doctrinal error inside of it. We're talking about slips of the pen, punctuation errors, and, and, and nothing that would in any way alter the things that we believe at the core but it's vital that you understand this is not a made-up story. It was not only detailed specifically, it was also, we we find the details of the resurrection, they were believed and communicated instantly. Instantly, from ground zero when Christ rose, instantly you find the narrative of the local church being Jesus is risen and that is what springs forth unto salvation. Instantly. And uh, as, as evidence, I offer to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we just read, which was written by Paul the Apostle. Okay, we're going to, I guess, work to do. All right. Paul the Apostle wrote Corinthians. He wrote 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament for sure. It's believed by many that he also wrote Hebrews. But even of the liberal scholars who would say the Bible is not inspired, no one is arguing the authorship of 1 Corinthians. No one is arguing Paul writing 1 Corinthians, all right? So he wrote 1 Corinthians, and, uh, and, and in it, he says what we just read. Jesus rose from the dead. He's telling the Corinthian church, and, and listen, when did he write 1 Corinthians? It's believed 54, 55 AD. So Jesus was born, they believe, about 3 BC, died 30 AD. So 54 to 55, that's 25 years after Christ's resurrection, and Paul's writing to a church discussing the facts of the resurrection. But you'll note within that, he actually says to them, this is the same thing I said to you when I first was with you. It's the same thing that I was saying to you. So earlier than 25 years after Christ rose, Paul had been preaching the resurrection and is now doubling back on, right? Do you see the the timeline now? It's so important you understand this. And we know that uh, virtually all New Testament material was finished and beginning to be compiled by 70 AD. Now someplace, the Gospel of John later, like like 100, uh, but let's even give them that. Let's say from Christ's resurrection at at, at 30 AD, it took 70 years to get the full New Testament done. That is impressive. 
that within the New Testament, which every bit of it is pointing to this exalted Christ and his resurrection cohesively and consistently. And in 70 years, here, here we have this book of, of people who are around the world going, Jesus is, is alive and Jesus has risen and Jesus is coming again. Now, some of you, are, you should see your faces. You're like, oh God, Levi, you shouldn't be telling people this. That's a long time. A lot can happen in 70 years. That's enough time for sure for a legend or a fable or, or a myth and for the facts to be clouded. 70 years, goodness gracious, 70 years. How old will I even be in 70 years? Oh man, I can't, hold on a second. To put this in perspective, let's talk about other things from history. And, and, and I'll begin with a question. How do you know anything that you know from history? Like, like you, uh, you know our first president in, in this country? His name was? How do you know that? You weren't there. You know it because of things people wrote down from that period. You're like, don't be silly. I, I saw the Patriot. I know who is president. And <laughs> Mel Gibson told me. Okay, very good. All right, so, so how, you know that because of writings. We dig into history. We see people writing things down. And these things get copied and copied and copied. And eventually, they get put into history books. And so we have from the writings that George Washington was our first president. That was only a couple hundred years ago, right? Now, let's go back further. Let's take a, a very well-known figure from, from history, responsible for the, 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 the Western civilization that we are a part of in this, in this, in this country. Uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great, what do you know about him? Compile a little list in your head. You're like, okay, he conquered the known world by age 30. Died at age 32. Was tutored by... Aristotle, after he died, after drinking a bowl of wine and dying from what some people believe to be a fever, he was put into a vat of honey, right? You guys know this? Named 70 cities after himself and one city after his horse, Bucephalus. He never lost a single battle in 15 years. And after conquering the entire world, this is about 330 BC or so, what did he do when he conquered the world and realized there was nothing left to conquer? He wept. He wept because there was no more to do and he had remorse. Now, all of these things that we, and you're like, you're like, actually, I know one more thing, Levi. It was actually the only thing I knew, Colin Farrell, because oh my God, right? <laughs> Very good. Okay, so the things that I just told you and anything else we know of Alexander the Great comes to us from two primary sources, two definitive biographies written about Alexander the Great. They're written by Plutarch and Arian. And listen to me, they were written 400 years after his death. Now tell me all the great debates that have broken out in all your college classes over the years of whether or not Alexander the Great really lived. I don't think he was Philip of Macedon's son. I think, right? I don't believe he had elephants in his armies. I actually believe it was zebras, right? Like, you're like, where is the, no, we, tr we, we trust. Everyone says, no, we know Alexander the Great was tutored by, by Aristotle because Plutarch said so, because Arian said so. And we don't flinch, no one flinches an eye at trusting those as reliable sources four centuries after the events took place. 
So when I tell you that the entirety of the New Testament was finished 70 years later, and there are over 5,000 manuscripts or copies, 99% identical, not diverging on one doctrinal issue of significance to attest to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am telling you, this is head-spinning verification manuscript evidence that historians... But wait, there's more. Because Paul said, I communicated to you, this is closer from 25 years. He wrote 1 Corinthians 25 years after. He's telling them, I already told you this, but I'll tell you it again, because it's the only thing that can save you. I'll tell you again, because it's the only thing that can save you. And then he said this, the same thing that I gave to you was the same thing I received. So then he goes on, there's a colon, and he he goes on to quote something, right? And the the quotation, you might have felt it as I was saying it. He said, the same thing I said to you, the same thing I'll give you again, it's the same thing I also received, and here it goes again. Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. On the third day he rose to the scriptures. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Was seen by Stephen's 12. And da-da-da-da-da-da. You're like, wait a minute, it almost seems like it's a poem. It almost seems like it's song lyrics. It almost seems like there's a flow. And that's exactly how rabbinical teaching methods went. So that things became sticky because of oral tradition before people had copies of the New Testament or apps on their phone where they could read it a lot of times. They took important things, essential things, and they, they condensed them. We do the same thing. Alphabet, hey, now I know my... A, B, C. We, 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 we make things sticky and we want to stick. And so it was with this gospel. Now, Paul is saying to them, I received this. Now, if you read Galatians 1 and 2, you'll find out when he received it. Paul hated Jesus more than anybody. His name was Saul of Tarsus, really hated Jesus. And it's stunning that this intelligent man, this up and coming leader of the Jewish religion, about faced one day and began following Jesus about face and began following Jesus. It was a total green inks and ham moment because he hated Jesus until he met him. Then he's like, turns out I love the guy. <laughs> Darndest thing, right? He talks about going to spend some time after a period in the desert of seeking God, of going to spend some time with Peter and with, with James and with John, the, the leaders of the Christian church. And he wanted from the horse's mouth to hear everything about Jesus. You tell me everything. And it was during that visit that they entrusted to him this ancient creed. Christ died according to the scriptures, was risen on the third day according to the scriptures, was seen by Cephas in the 12, and da 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 and then he was seen by James. Now, that one's a big deal. James is Jesus' half-brother. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? A resurrection at the very least. Like I would just be the beginning... <laughs> Walked on water? No, I still don't believe it. No, I had, to tie, I, had to, I had to deal with him for too long, right? It's like, right? James, who didn't believe in Jesus, has been tried to shut it down, tried to come and take him by force and be like, you're, we're putting you in a mental institution because you're crazy. You're going to get yourself killed. He about faced and began to be the leader of the church at Jerusalem, all right? So, so that's part of the creed as well. And then he was seen by 500, and, right? And what, what is he saying? He's saying when he says that, he says, and most of them are still alive. Why? Because this creed was formed when all those people were still living. Then he concedes, Paul says, as he writes this 25 years later, he goes, yeah, by now some of them have probably died, but most of them are still alive. And where is it? Well, you know, it's where, 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 where Tractitus was and, and Herod the Tetrarch and, and Lysanias and, and uh, you know, Pontius Pilate's jurisdiction. You see what I'm saying? 
he's inviting the skeptics to go and talk to him. Like, here, I'd give you the number, but iPhones haven't been invented yet. So instead, <laughs> you'll just have to go there if you have questions. You can talk to this group, members of which of the 500 are still alive, very much alive. Now, if Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 25 years after the resurrection, and it was already something he had received with enough time to communicate it to them and refer back to that, what, what, what am I trying to get you to see? This creed was formed very early. It's estimated that uh, from six months to one year after Christ's resurrection was, was how long before the church was using this as their primary vehicle by which they would communicate the facts of Jesus's resurrection. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say the details were believed and communicated instantly yeah. and not just specifically. And why is that important and worth our time? Because myths are not this way. This is not the stuff legends are made of. In fact, uh, an eminent historian at Oxford University once did an investigation. Oh, I've been on Google this week. I'm dangerous. <laughs> and his name is A.N. Sherwin White, and he studied the rate of development for legend. And he concluded that not even two generations, now generation is often referred to as about a 30-year period. He said not even two generations is enough time for this kind of mythology to develop that it takes much longer than that. But I'm talking about six months. It's not like someone overheard someone saying, Jesus is amazing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's risen. And then they overheard, they're like, oh yeah, Jesus is risen. And then the church one day was like, he is risen indeed. You know, and it's like, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not what happens. This isn't a fish story being told. And again and again and again, it's from six months, instantly, you have this being communicated. There's no time gap whatsoever. But the details also come to us awkwardly. Jot that down. The details are specific. They're instantly believed and communicated. They're also awkward. Now, I'm going to wait a second in case any of you think a bolt of lightning is going to hit me for saying that. <laughs> but I've read the Bible, and there's some awkward stuff up in it. <laughs> I read the Bible, and I'm just cringe sometimes. And I, it would be easy for me to throw some of the characters under the bus if I didn't find it so relatable to my life. I mean, think about just, let, let's, let's talk about Jesus' crew. These guys are the worst. None of them believed in him. They literally, like Peter, Peter, he was like the, the, the prime of them all. And one day Jesus called him the devil. He's like, you're like the devil, right? So, like, why would you include that in, in, the, in the story? Like, you don't want people to know that. And then and he breaks down and denies Jesus on, on the night of his arrest. And he pretends he doesn't know him. And, and then the guy, Mark, who wrote Peter's story, who primarily communicated his side of things to, to the world through the gospel called Mark, he was there at the Garden of Gethsemane covered with this long cloak because he ran out quickly to be with them that night. And, and someone stepped on his cloak when, when Jesus got arrested. And he ran away scared. So he said that he ended up naked. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane naked. So he's just going streaking through the sea. Like, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Why is that in the Bible? Like, you, did you know about a young man running away naked the night Jesus got arrested, right? That happened. This is in the Bible. Don't look at me cross-eyed and religious. This is scripture up in here, right? And, and, and you, have, you have so many things like that. Like when the women who, who, who discovered the tomb was empty, uh, they, they bumped into Jesus. Mary thought he was a gardener, right? And she's like, what's up, gardener? Where's Jesus? Where have you put him? And Jesus is like, Mary. And she's like, ah! this is awkward. <laughs> And then she goes to tell Peter and John, and John, and now we flip over to John's gospel, which by the way, he includes less miracles than Mark's gospel. 
because they, they were all including different things because they wrote to different audiences. Now, that, but that's also significant historically because Mark's gospel was, everyone agrees, written first. And again, if it was a legend that got bigger and bigger like a snowball over time, Mark's gospel starts out with the most miraculous. And then John, he know, A, knows they have Mark, and B, he's writing to a different audience. And so he has less miracles in his gospel, even though everyone agrees that John was the last gospel written. That's not the stuff legends are made of. First, it starts with, well, he did this. It's like, well, he did this. And then it's like, he did that. And that's not the stuff that we find in scriptures. But John, he says, once Mary told us Jesus was alive, me and Peter both wanted to go. And we ran through the city streets and I outran Peter. He literally includes, <laughs> God, even from heaven, Jesus is like, oh, right. When they got, he got to writing this. Really? You won? Good job, John. He included in the gospel, I'm a little faster than Peter. You know, I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing. It's been great for me. I went keto and I was in ketosis that morning. I peed on the strip and so I beat him, right? It's like, good Lord, how could God use any one of these people? Awkwardly written. And I submit to you, no one making up the stories would include any of this stuff that put them in such unfavorable lights. Why is it written that way? Friends, it's because that's how it happened. And real life is weird. And as you're reading the Bible, you go, that's that kind of, that kind of stuff would happen to me. Exactly. And that is actually a proof of, of, of its accuracy and, and, and not the contradiction. All right. Uh, the details are also, were also adhered to stubbornly. From the moment Christ rose, what you see is a consistent pattern of people stubbornly, stubbornly holding to it and not backing down. Now, Peter. Right? We talked about his denying Jesus on the, on the night of Jesus' arrest. Seven weeks later, there's a holiday going on called Pentecost. The population of Jerusalem is just blown up. And he has an opportunity to stand up in front of thousands of people in the same city where 49 days ago, plus change, Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross. And addressing those same people, he fearlessly said, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And then he said, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This is in the same city to the same people Jesus' ministry took place in. He's like, hey, blind Bartimaeus, you see me? Yeah, exactly. Remember that day? Remember, remember hey, man with a withered hand, high five. Yeah, remember when your hand was withered and you couldn't do that? Booyah. Right? Was that Zacchaeus? What up, shorty? Right? See, see, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> These are the jokes, people. Right? These miracles happened in their midst, and he's documenting events, and he's able to say to them, which you yourselves know. And they're like, yeah. No one denied Jesus was miraculous. They could, and everyone saw what he did. People are, he's like, Lazarus! Hey! Hey! Right? Remember when you were dead? That was weird. <laughs> and the enemies of Jesus' plan was to kill him. Literally, they're reading the Bible. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and, and they're like, wow, we got to kill that guy. That's your, best, that's your best idea, right? That's your best idea. We'll kill Lazarus again. Unbelievable. And then he continues. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, Herod and Pilate, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is his sermon. 
that he gave on the day of Pentecost. And, and all I can say is, who is this Peter? Who is this Peter? Who was beat up and said, don't you ever talk about Jesus again. He said, I will honor you in every way I can, but I cannot help but speak about that things which I've seen and heard. I don't know what to tell you. You'll have to beat me again. But if you let me out of this prison, I'm going to preach about Jesus. And Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and John and Thomas and all the disciples suffered agony for their testimony that Christ had risen. John was boiled in oil until he confessed he's not Christ. Boil me then. Banished to the penal isle Patmos. James, Jesus' brother, head cut off. Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who hated Christ more than anybody, he had his head cut off. Peter, the, the denier, who denied Jesus because a little servant girl said, are you with him? Ah, he was so scared of getting crucified. Once he saw the risen Lord, they said, we're going to crucify you. He said, that's fine. Can I ask one simple request that you might crucify me upside down because I don't consider myself worthy enough to die in the same exact position Jesus died in? Stubbornly holding on to this. Now, if, as is purported, they made up this whole idea of Christianity, made up the resurrection. Jesus is dead. They just communicated to keep it alive, to keep it alive. That would be a, a crime. It would be a lie. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Criminologists say there are three reasons people commit crime, sex, money, and power. Those are the motive behind virtually any crime you've ever heard of. Please show me where the sex, money, or power is for the disciples who every single one of them saved John, who lived through the boiling and lived through the banishment that they all were willing to die. You say, hey, but there's people all over the world who die for their religious beliefs. There's people all over the world who die for lies. Yeah, but they were in a position to know it was a lie. And they were all alone. They, weren't, they didn't die as a group. All right, we're in this together. All right, keep, stick to the plan. They were all, Thomas gets killed by a spear in India preaching the gospel and not one of them backed down. Not one of them backed down. It's, it is, you, if you're gonna say Christ didn't rise, you, then please tell me, please explain the transformation. There's, there's clearly some event that took place that, that is responsible for this change. This is, a, this, is, this is a groundbreaking event in their life. So if not Christ's resurrection, then please explain and account for the impact made on them. And I, I submit to you that this is not the stuff legends are made of because of the stubborn uh, adherence to the details of the gospel. And finally, it has stood up to scrutiny. Not the stuff legends are made of because when you dig into legends, you find that what's purportedly history lacks authenticity. All right, let's go find Atlantis. Has a submarine found it? No. You hear about Titanic? You know, James Cameron, he found freaking Titanic. All right, so it's like, there it is. I don't know if we found Rose's necklace or not, but I'm telling you something. It's there. You can see, like, oh my gosh, something I heard about is there. It's not a myth. It's a thing, right? And, and when it comes to the gospel, it's been scrutinized. And you know what? It's still standing. Many skeptics have tried. Billy Graham once said, he said, if I was an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that's the heart of it. And you know what? It's been tried. For 2,000 years, the skeptics hammer have, have rained blows down upon the church and no one has ever disproven it, but a lot of skeptics have come to faith because of it. That's just what happens when you actually look into it. When you don't just write it all off as impossible because it's miraculous, because that's, 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 that's not consistent. 
You don't write something off because of your presupposition you bring into it. Airplanes can't be real because they've never flown before. This had never happened before. So, so, so we, we all, life is miraculous. And whether there's God or no God, life's miraculous and unexplainable. So when you, when you don't come in with a presupposition that I don't believe in it because it can't happen, and instead you actually look into the evidence, you, 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 you simply find, in the words of, of, of my friend Josh McDowell, you find evidence that demands a verdict. So what is the verdict that you, you, you come to? Because some will look at it, and you'll, if you Google it and look into it, you'll find some people saying, well, here's the deal. He never really died. Yeah, I, I grant you something happened. Because otherwise, you wouldn't have this difference in the disciples. And this is not the stuff legends are made of. It simply happened too quickly and was adhered to consistently and is too specifically. Okay, okay, okay. So here's, 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 here's what they'll say. They'll say, Jesus didn't actually die. You know in Avengers, when Nick Fury was, was, was going to die, uh, so he, 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 he took that medicine that made him seem like he had died, and then everyone's like, oh my God, he's so dead, and look at him, he's still behind the glass and on that table, and oh my gosh, and he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> so that he could come back later and be like, look at my ugly eye, uh, right? And then a cat did it? Well, I didn't see that coming. I'll tell you what. Okay, so, 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 so they'll say it's like that. Jesus is hanging there, and he's just acting. He's like, okay, okay. And like when they would leave the room, he'd be like, and then he just back, back to death. And he didn't die all the way. Listen, this, is, this is what people say. And, uh, and, and, and you know what? They took him down. They put him in the tomb. And it was like the cool air in the tomb and some time alone. And the spices that they put in the linen strips they put around him. It was kind of like an essential oil thing. He was like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so much better. It was like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, like lavender? Oh, it's so awake. Is that like the resurrection diffuser in there? Like, oh my gosh. And feeling so good, he came out. And it's really amazing because, you know, the medical facts, when you actually look into it, uh, that's, that's, that's appallingly ignorant. Consider uh, the three doctors, including, listen to me, including uh, a, uh, a, a doctor from the Mayo Clinic who uh, was a pathologist, published in the Journal of American Medical Association, or JAMA, as we call it in the industry. Uh, and, and they said, clearly the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Please do remember the Roman soldiers who executed him did this for a living. And if they saw one person who they were given charge to execute live, they would have to be crucified. So it was their vested interest to make sure he was dead. They knew he was dead, but to be sure they ran a spear through his heart. And when it punctured the pericardium, water ran forth. And when it punctured his heart, blood ran forward. And then and only then did they release his body to Joseph of Arimathea for burial. So, so Jesus, but even if he... <laughs> Even if he did somehow miraculously live through it, it was like he's lying in the tomb and, and he's got 70 pounds of, of spices and, and strips around him and he's got a hole in his heart and he suffocated to death. But somehow he's like, whoa! But in his weakened medical condition, being able to get the bandage off of him and leave them perfectly in there as though he had just passed through them, somehow moving a two-ton stone and getting past the soldiers who were guarding the tomb, he got to his disciples and he would have said to them, it is I, I am risen. And then he said, sir, you need a doctor, right? <laughs> They would have said, I'm going to go die for you. They would have said, you seem like you're moments away from death yourself. So that's, that's, that's not something to stand on. Nor is the hallucination theory. It was all a collective dream. Because remember, 500 people saw him in one place at one time, including the 12 disciples who were eating. And then he like, just was like, what's up? And they were like, ah. <laughs> and, and just to, 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 to do away with this once and for all, let me ask you this question. How was that dream I had last night? Wasn't it great? Do you ever wake your wife up in the night and go, hey, I'm in Hawaii, jump in on this one so we can save on airfare. 
Dreams are individual, personal, and not corporate. The wrong tomb theory, this is just rude. They say, well, the women, you know, women with directions ended up at a fresh grave. Yeah, I know, unbelievable. They say, uh, yeah, they had tears in their eyes, the sun was bright, and, and so they, they, they bumped into some guy, and they're like, where is Jesus? And they said, he's not here, and they ran off to say, you know, to disciples, and if they would have listened, he would have said, he's over there. He's over there. He's not here. He's over there. But they didn't hear the last part of it, so they should have listened better. But that, that has more, that, that creates more problems than it solves. Because wouldn't have, would the enemies of Jesus just march down to the wrong tomb and go, oh, that's not it. It's right this one. And then just produce the corpse of the Galilean. Every explanation offered by Jesus' enemies assumes an empty tomb. If I say to you, the dog ate my homework, I'm admitting I don't have my homework and here's the story. So when the Jews say, disciples stole the body, what are they admitting? The tomb is empty. But, but the disciples stealing the body, does that really work? Because what were they doing? They were scared. They were afraid. They were, until Jesus finally barged in on them. It was like, no, for real, guys. They, they had no motive for this. Let's, let's say we, that Jesus rose by stealing the body so we can go die, because that'll be rad. <laughs> Furthermore, they weren't expecting him to rise. No one was. The Jews believed in an end-of-time resurrection for all at the same time, not in a once-individual resurrection in the middle of time. So there was no, there was no like big group of the disciples waiting outside the tomb, waiting for the sun to rise, and then like, 10, 9, what, this is going to be crazy. You filming? 8, 7. He had to go find them and be like, stick your hand in my side. Where's Thomas? Oh, he missed church again. By the way, don't miss church. You never know what Jesus is going to do. He's always in the midst through his spirit as we gather. He had to come back the second time to get Thomas because Thomas was, Thomas was like, it's nice out. I'm going to go do something outside and not be at church. You can do both. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. All right. So <laughs> scrutiny again and again, it's been scrutinized. And what is found? That this is not based on mythology. It's based on historicity, our faith is. And, and it's this that is at the core of our belief. In, this, in, the, in, in that I'm saying what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins. And our faith is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. But because Christ has risen, all of those things are true in reverse. We're not wasting our time. Our life is not without hope. Our gathering is not without meaning. Our existence is not without purpose. And because of the resurrection, we then have the faith to look at everything else in Scripture that we don't understand. Do you understand why this is so important? We don't look to everything in Scripture and go, oh, man, I see so much about Genesis and the creation. I see so much about this. And, and now I'll believe the resurrection. Though there's fulfilled prophecy and all of that just builds our faith once we actually look into it. But our faith begins with the empty tomb. That's where Christianity starts. That's our ground zero. And from there, we then look at everything else that we don't necessarily understand and we're able to believe. This is key. Listen to me, students, because you're going to have shots fired at your faith. People are going to tell you, and they're going to want to draw you in a big talk about the, the flood and how did the giraffes two by two, and then you'd be like, well, I think I like whistled, and, and, and then at least, oh, God, I had that picture going Sunday school, and, 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 and the Lord told Noah, and, and, and they're going to look at you, and let me, just, let me just help you with something. You know, I don't know about that, and some of the stuff in the Bible is weird, and yeah, there's this bloodthirsty wars, and this happens, it seems at times, and I don't understand it all. 
but I believe in Jesus. And listen to me. And Jesus believed in Noah. He actually talked about him. And Jesus talked about Jonah. And how did he live in the stomach? I, I don't actually understand all of that, but Jesus did. And he predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascended to heaven. And he was seen before he did by 500 people. And so I'm going with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And so, so bring it back to the resurrection. So please explain for me, if, if he didn't rise, then, then how do you account? Well, you know, that was written after the fact. Actually, it was written 25 years after the fact and 70 years after the fact. Well, that's a long time. Well, let's talk about Alexander. You see what I'm saying here? There's, 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 there's a lot to our faith and that's the key. My friend Andy Stanley put it this way and I'll end with this. He said, my high school science teacher once told me that much of Genesis is false. But since my high school science teacher did not prove he was God by rising from the dead, I'm going to believe Jesus instead. And I think this is what is under our faith.